Our future is closer than we think. Our needs are growing, and so is the demand for energy, including more U.S. oil and natural gas. Our economy, our security, our nation all run on energy. Oil and natural gas make up more than 70% of the energy we use every day. And American energy is produced to among the highest environmental standards in the world. It's time to shine a light on the policies that threaten a reliable energy future. Policies like restricting access to U.S. oil and gas leases, limiting U.S. liquefied natural gas, and canceling pipeline projects. The realities we face are clear. American energy is America's advantage. Tell Washington we need smart policies today to ensure a brighter tomorrow. Visit lightsonenergy.com. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Coming up on Marriage Today with Jimmy and Karen. Do you know why God puts you together? Do you know the purpose for your marriage? Could you write it down? Could you articulate it? Well, most people can't and we couldn't. And it's, it's transforming, you know, when you realize, you know, that God does have a purpose for your marriage and it's not just about your work, it's not about the kids, you know, it's about you as a couple being one and representing the kingdom of God in a way that no one else can. When you're talking to couples about marriage and you say to them, did God put you together? Almost every couple would say yes. And then when you ask them, why did he put you together? They give you this blank stare. Now this, this was Karen and me. We, we believe that God put us together. We believe we were made for each other. We didn't know why, but, but we believed it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about the purpose for your marriage and knowing the purpose for your marriage. And again, I want to say, if I could only teach three marriage sessions, this would be one because of the profound importance this will have in your marriage. Now, let me begin. I'm going to tell you some facts. Fact number one, in five years, you will not be the same. In five years, you will not be the same. I was at Gateway Church. Bill Hybels was the speaker. And he made the statement to the church. And he said, in five years, you will not be the same. You will be better or you will be worse, but you will not be the same. And the decisions that you're making right now will determine in five years what you will be. So let me just pick up on what Bill Hybel said and just make that applicable to couples. You won't be the same in five years. And just think about your friends. Think about some of your friends that you know that in the last five years that they have just done really well and prospered and flourished. Their marriage is great. But think of couples that you know that in the last five years, their life has imploded. Okay. In five years, you could have experienced the greatest years of your life and your marriage be exponentially better than it is right now. Or it's going to be worse, but it won't be like it is right now. It'll be better or worse. Fact number two, success happens on purpose and never by accident never by accident. You will not wake up in five years and say, you know, honey, we never talk and we never spend any time together, but boy, isn't marriage fabulous? This is just, I don't, we never work at it, but boy, we've never been so happy. It won't do that. If you don't work, it's success. It won't happen. There are certain things 
that we have to do. Fact number three, in marriage, success only happens if we're both in agreement and committed to the same purpose. It's about two. When I was single, I could do things by myself and it would work if I was in agreement with me. But when I got married, Karen then had to be in agreement. It's, there's going to be two of us. Amos 3.3 3 has a question and it demands a no answer. Can two walk together unless they're in agreement? Can, can two walk together? The answer is no, you can't because you're, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a tug of war because you're not in agreement. And what it really means is, can two walk together unless they first agree? They sit down in agreement. Well, most people never talk about deeper things of marriage. For example, why did God put us together? Most couples never have that conversation before they're married. So you're walking. Marriage is the longest journey in life. And you, you really, you're not in agreement. So you're trying to walk together, but you're not in agreement. And Amos says, you can't do it. Unless you're first in agreement, you're just not going to be able to walk the way that you want to walk in so let me just ask you this question, and it's just a real simple question. Do you know why God puts you together? Do you know the purpose for your marriage? Could you write it down? Could you articulate it? Well, most people can't, and we couldn't. Karen and I were clueless about why God put us together, and it was one of the reasons that we fought all the time and that we just weren't being successful. Here's fact number four. To find the purpose for your life in marriage, you have to start with the big questions. You don't start with the little questions of where we're going to live and those kinds of things. It's the big questions. Now, when people are polled and they're saying, if you could ask God anything, why would you, what would you ask him? This is a national poll that was a secular poll. And they said, if you were able to, just to ask God any question, what would your question be? The number one response of people across America is, why am I here? What's, what's my purpose here on earth? Not, not me as a married couple, but what is my purpose here on earth? I want to give you the definitive answer for that because it begins this entire process of understanding our purpose in marriage. This is life's universal purpose, Matthew 22. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Well, the Bible was the law and the prophets. That's what they had. They had the Pentateuch, which was the law, and then they had the prophets. And Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. On those two commandments, the entire Bible is suspended. If you love God and love people, you've done everything that the Bible tells you to do. Love is the interpretive key to the Bible. If you don't understand love, you can't understand the Bible because it's the inter God is love. Our God is a loving, gracious, wonderful daddy. And he loves us and he sent his son to die for us because he loves us so much. That's the interpretive key to the entire Bible. And so when you understand love, you understand God. You understand the Bible. Everything makes sense. When you don't understand love, you don't. Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the meanest people on earth. They were mean-spirited people. They put Jesus to death. They robbed widows of their money. Jesus called them a brood of vipers. These were mean-spirited people. And they were testing Jesus to see if he knew enough of his Bible. And they said, what is the greatest commandment? He said, I'll give, you the, I'll give you the only two commandments. Everything the Bible says, 
is about love and is about relationship. And by the way, when Jesus says the law, the 10 commandments, the first four commandments tell us how to love God. The second, the, the next six commandments tell us how to love each other. That's what the 10 commandments is about. The 10 commandments are the moral parameters by which we love God and we love each other. And don't you wish our nation would return to the 10 commandments? And I know that there are many nations represented and a lot of others, but I'm saying you can't get better than 10 commandments. They restrain our hearts. They help us to love God and love each other the way. The prophets, by the way, who were the prophets? They were representatives of a lovesick God calling Israel back into relationship. That's all the prophets were. The prophets kept coming to the nation of Israel saying, God, God misses you. Why have you turned your heart away from God? God wants you back. Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. That's all the law and the prophets said. If you understand love, if you understand relationship, that's it. And let me say to you, you were created for relationship with God and each other. That's the purpose of your life. And you say, well, if, if God showed up and I could ask him any question, what would I ask him? Why am I here? And God would say, relationship. You're here for a relationship with me and with each other. Well, so in Genesis chapter two, we see the picture very clearly. God creates man and woman in a paradise called Eden, and they're in a perfect relationship with him and a perfect relationship with each other. That's the beginning. The, the Bible starts in a paradise with God and ends in a paradise with God. The Bible's a good book. And in the middle, it talks about how we have rebelled against relationship with God and each other. That's, that's the story of the Bible. So in the Bible, we're in, Adam and Eve, we're in a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect marriage, and a perfect relationship with God. And here came the enemy of relationship, the devil. He's the enemy of all relationship. And here are the two things that the devil did in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve that he does to all of us. The first is separation. He convinces two perfect people in a perfect paradise that the God who put them there was evil. He, you got to admit he's good. You got to admit he's good he immediately begins to accuse God and to try to divide her from God. And he's already divided her from her husband because he's not a part of the equation. She ate the fruit without ever talking to Adam. He's gonna, the day you got married, the day you got married and you said, I do, the devil said, I have a scheme against him. God has a plan for your marriage and so does the devil. And if you don't think the devil has a plan for your marriage, you got another thing coming because your marriage is a mortal threat to his kingdom. The devil cannot do in your family what he wants to do if you're happily married. The devil cannot do to your children what he wants to do if you're happily married. The devil cannot do in your community what he wants to do if there are marriages all over that community of people who love God. Marriage is a mortal threat. Marriage is the first institution that God ever created on this planet. And upon the institution of marriage, every other institution thrives. But when marriage fails, every other institution fails. And you can't save it until you save marriage. God is a strategist and so is the devil. And God understands if I'm going to build a great society, I've got to have great marriages. And so he creates a perfect marriage as the foundation. The devil understands if I'm going to destroy this society, I've got to destroy marriage. So the first thing that he does is separate Adam and Eve. He's always trying to separate us from each other. The second thing he does is called substitution. He comes to them and says, the answer is that piece of fruit. You don't need God. He's trying to hold you down. The man's trying to keep you down. 
You need that piece of fruit over there. Wait, wait a minute. Let me go back for just a minute. Love the Lord your God. What's the most important commandment, Jesus? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors, your love yourself. Jesus said, the entire Bible only speaks of two things, loving God and loving each other. The devil came and said, it's not about people or God, it's about things. If you only had that car, if you only had that house, relationships are why we exist. And the devil is the enemy of relationships, always trying to divide, always trying to get us to substitute things for our children, things for our marriage, things for God, things for the most important things that matter. He wants us to go chase after all this stuff that won't last. And that's what he did with Adam and Eve. Separation and substitution is just the way he works. He doesn't have to change his methods. It's worked great for a long time. But that's what he's going to do. I'm telling you, God has a plan for your life. And that plan is to love him and to love people, especially your family. That's his plan. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. Satan has a plan for your life. And it's for you to be lonely and divided and chase after things for the rest of your life, rather than to pursue God and pursue relationship. It's just very simple. That's just the way he operates. That's his MO. And he's extremely good at it. Our future is closer than we think. Our needs are growing, and so is the demand for energy, including more U.S. oil and natural gas. Our economy, our security, our nation all run on energy. Oil and natural gas make up more than 70% of the energy we use every day. And American energy is produced to among the highest environmental standards in the world. It's time to shine a light on the policies that threaten a reliable energy future. Policies like restricting access to U.S. oil and gas leases, limiting U.S. liquefied natural gas, and canceling pipeline projects. The realities we face are clear. American energy is America's advantage. Tell Washington we need smart policies today to ensure a brighter tomorrow. Visit lightsonenergy.com. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Well, you know, having a vision retreat for your marriage, having a vision for your marriage is massive. We're talking about being married on purpose. And you ask the average couple, did God put you together? And they'll say, oh, absolutely. Our, you know, I married my soulmate. We're supposed to be together. And then you ask them that what's the, why did God put you together? And they'll say, huh? Well, mm-hmm. we don't know because they've never talked about it. Let me say, we hadn't either. Mm-hmm. And so as I was saying in the teaching, Karen and I had not talked about it either, but when we had our first vision retreat, it transformed our relationship. Mm-hmm. And Karen, I remember when we went to the lake, mm-hmm. we, we barred a friend's lake house, and we went to the lake, and we were having tension about, and our kids were much younger then, um, but we were having tension about money, mm-hmm. about um, uh, my schedule, mm-hmm. okay, and about the kids. Uh, kids, we had teenagers at that time. And we weren't fighting all the time, but we, we were, we were having. Well, they were the trigger points. They were the, yeah. definitely the trigger points that would, you know, that we couldn't get past. I mean, we would make peace with each other, but it was like, there's that underlying that we really hadn't come to a conclusion of why is this so frustrating? And I can remember even with your schedule, like you said, and you mentioned, you know, about putting, um, you know, the church or a ministry before your marriage. And, and so when you and I first got married, we were, we were so young. And I remember 
um, I was always very supportive of whatever you wanted to do, whether it was working at a car wash or for your parents in an appliance store. And then when the Lord called you the ministry, I was behind you 100%. And so that felt like the purpose. That felt like a purpose to us for our marriage. When in reality, that couldn't have been the purpose. That shouldn't have been the purpose. And that's where the conflicts would come because the purpose for our marriage was for you and I to have a family unit that loved God and loved our children and loved community and and was a vessel for whatever God wanted. And if it was the ministry, great. But it, our marriage, you know, we did have to learn that it had to be first. And you were so good about that. You were, when you finally got it, you know, we realized how much of that had come into our marriage. You know, you coming to me and repenting and saying, you know, I'll quit everything. You yeah. know, whether it was golf or whether it was the church or, you know, just because you made me feel like I really was the most important thing. And that, um, it, it, and it's, it's transforming, you know, when you realize, you know, that God does have a purpose for your marriage and it's not just about your work. It's not about the kids, you know, it's about you as a couple being one and representing the kingdom of God in a way that no one else can, right. you know, you and I are unique because it's you and me. Right. And, um, it's a special place, you know, to, to come to that conclusion. Well, we're going to talk about some of the practical elements of having a vision retreat, but you know, sometimes you can be a victim of your own success. Mm-hmm. Because many of business men and women, uh, you have a vision for your business. You're, you're trained to have a vision for your business. In the ministry, uh, a pastor, and I'm a pastor, a pastor came up to me uh, about a month ago and said to me, uh, Jimmy, what's the divorce rate in the church? Because I hear it's the same as it is uh, outside the church. And my response shocked, it literally shocked this pastor. I said, the divorce rate among pastors in America is 50%. Mm-hmm. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month because of divorce, burnout, adultery, whatever it might be. But the pressure that is on pastors, but that's not the problem. The problem is is that many pastors have a vision for their church, but not for their marriage. Mm-hmm. And their marriage just gets drugged behind the church. It literally, it becomes second to the church. This is what happened to us, mm-hmm. is that, I was very motivated. I had a vision for the church. The church was growing and we were suffering in our relationship because of that until we decided our marriage came first and we had a vision for our marriage. Mm-hmm. And the and it's like a train. The vision for your marriage is the engine. The vision for everything else is another car behind that engine. You have a vision for your marriage and you have a vision for your children. You have a vision for your broader family. You have a vision for your ministry. You have a vision for your business and all the other things that come behind that. But the marriage is the engine because your marriage is for a lifetime. These things are not for a lifetime, many of them, but this is for a lifetime. Let me say something else. If you're successful in marriage, you're happy. You can be very successful in business and be miserable Mm -hmm. because your marriage is failing. So we learned, Karen, at that lake house, and we've had many vision retreats since then, we learned to get away and have a vision retreat. Now, we believe that it should be Three days, probably mm-hmm. minimum to five days. Mm-hmm. Okay. You should not take your children. Okay. Let me just say, God love your children, but you need to get a babysitter. Um, and you need to get away uh, without your children, but it doesn't have to be expensive. Mm-hmm. Now we borrowed a friend's lake house mm-hmm. when we went and we, we struggled financially back in those days. I mean, I, I didn't make a whole lot of money and we went to some really crummy hotels and some crummy places. But I'll tell you, those times that we spent away, in the mornings we'd wake up, talk, mm-hmm. uh, pray. Um, we just kind of had an agenda of the main things that we wanted to talk about. Uh, and they, they really were that, the tension areas of our relationship. And there was so much tension already with you and I that I think that's what helped me. As you said, now Karen, 
We're going to pray first and see what God says. And it was just like, oh, good, God's in I was this. really praying for you. <laughs> I was saying, pray, God, please change her. Because so I we... really was. I was so worried that he was going to like, okay, this is what I think we should do. Da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, good, God's in this. Well, we've had people get in fights on their vision retreat because yeah. one tried to you yeah, know, bully the other. exactly. And so, you know, it was so refreshing, you know, because it does. It takes, there's just something that settles you when you think, okay, you know, I can trust God and yeah. I can trust that he does have our best interest and that he wants the best for us. And that, um, and not that we each other didn't, it's just yeah. that we couldn't get past issues. And so, you know, it's such a great thing to start it with. Well, we're going to, we're going to come back in just a minute. We're going to keep talking about now how to have a vision retreat. And I want to tell you something really important now about this issue of vision and how it leads to God's provision in your life. Let me, let me say we have a vision for marriage today and our vision for marriage today is for us to help people succeed in marriage. Divorce is too common, and it, it just devastates people's lives, and it separates children from their parents. We exist as a ministry to help people thrive in biblically-based relationships the way that God designed. Everyone needs help. Everyone needs encouragement. And this program goes all across America and around the world all week long, multiple times during the week on many different networks and stations because of our faithful partners who support us. And we have a very special group of partners that support us every single month. And they're called our rock solid partners. Karen and I are asking you to stand with us financially to help us keep sending the ministry and the mission of Marriage Day across America and around the world. Please stand with us and here's how you can do it. We're talking about being married on purpose, and we're talking about having a vision for our marriage, which is so important. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, "How can it says that without a vision, the people are unrestrained." Amos three three says, "Unless two people agree together, they can't walk together." Literally, ask it in the form of a question: mm-hmm. How can two walk together unless they agree? The problem when you don't have a vision and you're fighting all the time in your marriage is literally you have division. That means two visions. The man wants this, the woman wants this. And what it says is, without a vision, you can't pe- keep people together. That's literally what that means. You're just having a fight. And Amos says, can two walk together unless they first agree? No, it's it's a cat fight. And marriage is the longest journey in life. And the only way you're going to be successful in marriage is to look at the same place. Without a, a vision, you have division. And the word provision means for the vision. And some, some people are praying and saying, God, give us provision. And God says, I can't. You both have different visions. If I gave you more, you would just split even more. It's only going to empower the spirit of division that is in you. When you get the same vision, then you get provision. Because provision means for, for God's vision. And so when we started getting away, Karen, and praying... Mm-hmm. For God to give us a vision, it took our marriage to a new level. It really did. It transformed our relationship. And it knocked things off. You know, it got rid of some things that we just needed to deal with. So they weren't, you know, coming in and employing the, you know, ruining the marriage again. But, you know, another thing you're saying that reminded me is um, it takes faith. I mean, you know, to, you to walk this thing out requires faith. And faith is saying, I believe it. I don't feel it. I don't see it. But I believe, you know, that if God says it, it's going to happen. 
And so, you know, there's a time where you feel like it's, nothing's changing. And then all of a sudden you wake up and it's like, oh my gosh, things have changed. And, and we're, we're, we're doing a, a something different and we have a different look in our marriage now than we did five years ago. And it, you know, so it takes faith. And I was thinking about the scripture. It says that, um, when a man finds a, a woman, it's a good thing. And, uh, but you know, for some men, it may take faith for them to believe that, you know, to whoever they're married to right now. Well, it is a good thing, but yeah. it, it can be tormenting if you don't have a vision. Exactly. And, and one of the things that I want to say in, in closing is it's the same vision. Mm-hmm. The reason that we have a vision retreat is because we submit to one another. You know, Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. We don't go on our vision retreat and we say, well, let me tell you what God's vision is for our marriage. We go on a vision retreat and we pray. Mm-hmm. And we talk mm-hmm. and we know we have God's mind when we both agree. Mm-hmm. If we don't agree, we don't bully and dominate each other, but we talk. And I'll tell you, it is so wonderful. And we've experienced this now. We, we had many years we didn't experience it, but we've experienced this now for so many years. It is so wonderful to be able to do that. And one of the things is, you know, you need to have a vision retreat when you start fighting. When you're fighting a lot, it's just telling you, you need to go on a vision retreat. You can succeed. In marriage, God puts you together for a reason. Go on a vision retreat. Find out what that reason is, and God will bless you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. God bless you.